Cheek, your host today, and thanks for joining me again on another edition of Ample Cause, our justification, and this is a Hamlet Island memoir series um, off the Hamilton Beach um, uh, chapters that uh, my memoir had began, and I just wanted to um, journalize some of uh, the events that have been going on in my life, and... Um, apply our Christianity to that. Um, one of the things that um, I've noticed is that, you know, it's important to make sure you are a good listener, you know, be slow, slow to speak and quick to listen. And, um, you know, in a world that uh, values opinions and freedom of speech and how everyone has an opinion and everyone has so much to say and everyone um, like their freedom of speech, we all, you know, want to get our point across, and, um, just remembering the value of listening in between that as well, and the valuing of, um, respecting other people and, um, hearing what they have to say, because I think, um, you know, that goes hand in hand with our speech, you know, too, is being slow to talk and quick to listen, and, um, excuse me, maybe not just try to always get uh, your point across, but listen to, to others as well. And so with that, you know, it's also important for, you know, no soldier gets caught up in civilian pursuits, right? His, his goal is to please the one who enlisted him. And as a soldier of Christ, you know, we don't like to get caught up in um, civilian things, civilian pursuits, because our goal should be to please God who enlisted us. And with that, you know, there comes a lot of uh, taking direction and taking orders and listening to our commander and making sure that we follow um, the strict instructions that our commander gives us. But oftentimes, if we don't listen to um, the orders well, or if we don't listen to um, the, the whole... Um, Direction in the whole um, the whole book, so to speak, we could just uh, head into battle on our own, dive into the the war, dive into the battle, and be like, "I'm good. I got this. You hired me to um, fight this, and I know how to fight it. Let me dive in." Well, you might just miss, you know, important facts. Uh, that could have saved your life or the lives of those that you're trying to protect because you might not know the whole story yet. Or you might not have been informed of um, your enemy yet. Or you might have been misinformed. Or you might not have got the whole book and you just got a chapter. Before you dive into that war, you should know like, hey, uh, victory was won yesterday. You just didn't hear. Or hey, uh, the war ended, you know, two hours ago, you just didn't get informed yet. So it's important before we dive into any endeavor, especially if you're a private or a private eye enlisted for a battle, you should make sure you know exactly all sides of the story and all sides of the battle and all sides of the war that you're enlisted to to do because um, that could save your life and your integrity as well. So make sure you do your 
due diligence and don't just dive headfirst into getting the job done <laughs> because actually you know the war was was won yesterday you just didn't hear yet <laughs> how foolish it would be to go back out and try to fight something right so obviously being a good listener is very important even for a soldier for a private anyone else enlisted um, in, in battle for you know um, a, a, a surgeon they need to know exactly um, the details of what they're operating on or anyone that is um, engaged in any kind of service, especially when it deals with other people, and you know, where there could be multiple sides to a story, when you're hired to do a certain job, you know, if you care anything for your own integrity and for your own dignity and for your own um, um, livelihood or, or, you know, character and... um, credibility, you should make sure you know um, exactly what's going on, why they hired you, and what for, because it gets you in a lot of trouble if you don't, and you'd be left, you know, be like, well, shoot, that's, you know, the card is dealt, and I didn't know the whole story, and it might get you into a lot of trouble that you can't get out of, so... Do um, be be slow to uh, speak, and you know, quick to listen. Be sure you get all the facts and all the information, because even though you might have been hired for a certain job or a certain task, um, at the end of the day, you know, you gotta live with those um, ill decisions that you make that might compromise um, your job and your your oath and your integrity. So, excuse me, it's important that you. Um, realize uh, there's more to the story than than what you're given. Excuse me. Um, And we know, like, for our light and momentary troubles, they're tuned for us an eternal glory that far outweighs any of them. That even though we have troubles in this world, um, the weight of it uh, outweighs the weight of uh, eternal glory, outweighs anything we can go through in this earth. Um, we know um, a lot of us put a lot of hard work and rigor into um, a lot of disciplines, especially athletes or uh, Olympic uh, athletes or even weightlifters. You know, I was kind of into um, weightlifting for a while, and it's like, you know, it's not only. Um, what you do at the gym, but it's a, a lifestyle almost, right? It's what you put into your body and what you put out of it. It's every little detail, you know, like what you eat shows and, and it shows for your health and it shows for the detail of your body and it's the same with your, your output and how you work out and how you work out those muscles and so it's very tedious and it takes a lot of time. It's a lot of training, right? You you put the time into the gym, you, you make the time for it, you put the hours in and you know, and it goes beyond that one hour, two hour at the gym. It goes even into the day of, you know, what you eat, what you drink, how you sleep, how you um, do a lot of uh, even your mental um, disciplines with that. You have to be very mentally engaged and very um, keen on um, willpower, you know, in, in those areas. So. There's a lot of work that goes into even being an athlete or even being a bodybuilder, even, 
you know, being a professional sports or or, um, athlete and the performances that you get from that and, you know, obviously if you're doing it for uh, a team or Olympic tryout or something, you know, you get the results you want, hopefully, based on what you put into it. And so, you know, for someone to come along and uh, destroy everything you've put into that, to ruin all your hard work that you put into that, to just in a night um, <clears throat> try to erase all of your um, efforts and hard work you put into this training uh, for this event and, and all the dedication that you did mentally and, and, and emotionally and physically as you were training for this bodybuilding, you know, and doing it without, you know, steroids or any of those cheating weights, right, and you naturally put the hard work in, and for someone to just come along and destroy that out of jealousy, or just destroy that out of um, their own ambitions, and just take that from you, and just ruin everything that you put so much work in, and so much dedication, and so much hard, um, effort into, and we're talking like, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle for years if you've ever seen um, bodybuilders or muscle men, I know my husband used to lift um, weights when he was younger, and he stopped because it's like, well, if I didn't keep it up, it had to be a consistent thing, and if I didn't keep it up, my muscle just turned to fat, and he's like, now I just got like flabby arms and, you know, a big stomach because... If I keep up my, my weightlifting, my muscle just turned to fat. So it's something that you have to do continuously and keep it up. And you have to be dedicated. And so while we might let ourselves go or whatnot, but for someone else to be like, I'm just going to destroy all your hard work and your dedication mentally and, and physically and, and all the time that you put into that, I'm going to come along and just zap you and add weight to you and disfigure you and deform you and and uh, ruin all your hard work because I'm jealous of it or I think you're too confident or I don't like the way uh, you uh, carry yourself or I don't like the way you walk with your arms like this bodybuilder you know what I mean like people have their own jealous tiffs over <laughs> petty things of man that they might not know anything of but you know that can really um ruin um someone's hard work someone's dedication someone's lifestyle and someone's efforts that they were training for a, a athletic event or a big marathon or you know olympic swim and so you know that's just um such a petty uh, ill uh, obnoxious thing to do out of your own um, insecurity of your own you know maybe um failures and um, discontent with yourself and with your life or your situation and so you know bad things happen to us in life and we know that you know car accidents can happen any day you can get sick you can have cancer um things can hit us out of nowhere and really shake up our our faith really shake up our walk and our things that we dedicated so much to you know olympic athletes aren't immune to cancer they train and in the middle of it you know find out they have a tumor I think the context behind those things matters, and the reason for these things um, matters. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that bad things do happen all the time, and things can happen to us in the middle of our 
hard work, our lifestyle work even, our, all the dedication we put into our job, you know, can be stripped from us in, in an instant. And, you know, how do we recover? How do we um, not get knocked down when those things happen? How do we um, know that um, that would be something that God is using to grow us or to make us stronger, to make us um, better? And, you know, let's say you did your whole, dedicated your whole life to your your job and um, working your way up the corporate ladder. And all of a sudden, in a day, you know, you get laid off or fired or in a car wreck and you can't return to work and you know how do we handle um these trials that just come our way all of a sudden and um knock us off our feet so to speak in a way that may not be how you plan or might not be how you thought things would go or you know might be um not just a freak accident not just um you know something that trials um help grow us and God can use even you know what you meant for evil God can use um for good and to have this eternal perspective on okay we know that these are temporary and if you take a big piece of string they say and you tie a little knot on it that little knot on that long piece of string is just right now that's your life here through the trials. He helps us recover. He heals us. He um, betters us through the pain and through the through the inconsistencies of life. And he sometimes has a better purpose in, in the game than we could ever, ever imagine ourselves, even with our perfect view of what we thought should have been or how we thought it should go, it should go or how we want to run it. You know, that 
has a better, a better plan in it, and, um, just, um, keeping that perspective that, okay, this is for, for the better, and, um, it won't shake us up, it won't knock us off our feet, because we know God has our best interests, and allow this to happen for, for a good reason, he'll bring good, even from what seems maybe like a temporary upset, or even from the bad right now. So we have a guarantee, um, when a guarantee, assurance that it will outweigh all the, <laughs> all the additions, hopefully the and glory, the weight of, of it would be more than the temporary weight that was added through the pain. that a lot of people like to lead, a lot of people like to be in charge, and God tells us in all our ways to submit to Him, and He'll make your path straight, Proverbs 3, 6, and so, we kind of, um, need to trust God with all our decisions, all our directions, um, we can do a lot of things, go a lot of ways, you know, there's a lot of times where we're like, what college do I go to, do I or do I go to that one? My whole future is going to depend on what college I go to. God, how do I know what plans you have for my future? And we can get stuck on, you know, major decisions and wanting to know what's God's will in those. What's best for me, God? Where do you want me to um, go? What's your will in these? And we have a lot of um, freedom, you know, and errors as well, and God will use all those, but we want, you know, obviously the best outcome, but Paul ultimately knows the secret of being content, he knows the secret of relying on God's strength, and he knows, um, the secret of being brought high and brought low, um, being hungry and being well fed, and he learned that, well, he penned that in his Roman prison, but it took him a lifetime to learn it, right, he said, I learned this, he didn't just naturally have that, that wasn't his first reaction, reaction to events, but he took a lifetime to, um, put that mentality and that mindset into action and to learn contentment in the high and the low, well-fed or hungry, having a lot or having a little. He learned through those moments how to be content with what he had and what was given to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, we have to know that in all our decisions that we make and all our choices that we have and and ultimately, you know, seeking his will in those, but finally just coming to a rest that um, we can trust God's guidance for us and that we can trust that um, when we're in his will, that's the safest place that we can be. So just having this peace over our decisions, having this peace over our plans, and having this peace over um, his guidance as we pray
stressing your heart over this decision that's still bugging you, you should maybe reevaluate and pray some more that God leads you um, until you do find that peace and pray like what's your will, Lord? And and when you're in His will and when you're doing what He wants you to do, you know you can trust that and you know um, that that's the best place for you to be and that's the best place where He wants you to be. It's just um, contentment, you know, whether it's high or low or um, a lot or a little, or whether it's in a Roman prison like Paul, he knew that's where God um, wanted him to be, and that's where God had him. And Paul waited his whole ministry to go to Rome. All he wanted to do was go to Rome. And God's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. And finally, at the end of his journey, God opened the door for him to get to Rome. And when he got there, you know, he ended up in this Roman prison and eventually died there. But, you know, he was at peace and he was content and he knew that was part of God's plan. And he knew um, how to contentment in, in that own prison and even pen some of our um, precious epistles that we have today from, from that so God used even his imprisonment um, even those times that he was just sitting in that jail cell um, house arrest and the things he was under that he probably had no clue we'd be reading you know today even you know thousands of years later it was just like wasted and that you know God directs your path and you're obedient to it when you're in his will and you have that peace in your heart or that God wanted me here in this prison you can just thrive and you have no clue um, what better plans God had for you in that prison that he could have had for you um, in your freedom maybe even passing the word out right so God's will is the best place to be and you just don't even know the impact of that Jesus um, opened a blind man's eyes and he actually spat on his eyes 
this was something uh, he literally did. He um, spat on him, and it was kind of like this whole experience that we can get when God became incarnate and put on flesh, right? People got to experience him and uh, watch him be man, but he got to taste and touch and see and smell and hear and, and spit, just like we do, right? And so he got to um, experience the humanity um, of what that, that all means, and that often involves, you know, our senses and how we take in the world around us, and, you know, to be blind, it was not a big chunk of um, taking in the, the world, but, you know, Christ um, was fully aware of that, of that, you know, becoming incarnate and being able to use um, these human um, uh, senses to experience uh, life here on Earth, and to also to others, and so, um, yes, he did spit on a blind man's eyes, and did touch him with his hands, and, and did heal him, and we sometimes wonder, like, why didn't he just say, poof, be healed, be healed, and you can see now, like, did he really have to spit on the guy, and touch him, <laughs> and did he really have to put his hands on the guy, and did he really have to, like, you know, finger him, and, and, and showed he cared for him and how Jesus, you know, gave that man his whole devoted attention. And so sometimes we could be like, hey, be healed, you're good, and be healed. But Jesus took the time to touch the guy, spend one-on-one with him, show his intimacy for him, show his love for him, talk to him and tell him what's on his mind, and um Yes, he did, you know, have this intimate uh, touch there to heal him. And that was just part of how um, Jesus showed his love and concern for people. He didn't need to just say, hey, be healed. But he was intimately involved and, you know, put time in and and one-on-one attention to these people and, you know, touched them and healed them and uh, was very uh, physically uh, involved with their care and their healing and that was just kind of um his way to say like hey i see you hey you're not overlooked you know like hey you matter to me hey i care for you hey in a crowd of a million i pick you out and i want to touch you hey and a sea of fish of billions i see you i notice you you're important to me I want to heal you. I want to put my fingers on you. I want to, you know, spend time one-on-one with you. So it was just an awesome way of him showing how much he cares. And um, may we remember that as well with our best friends and with our um, uh, friends that God sent into our life. That, hey, they show their importance to you and how much they value you and how much um, they care for you with those um, acts. May
on here. There's a couple more things I want to just add. Um, the God of Peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Um, you know, the devil's like a lion um, that roams around looking for someone to devour. It tells us um, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, you know, he um, was a witness um, to the, um, many things, but also, you know, the, uh, I guess, Revelation tells us that um, he had eyes like a flaming fire, um, and he had a double-edged sword shining uh, like the sun bright in its brilliance and you know when John saw him he fell down and wanted to worship him he fell down as though dead but he said don't do that don't be afraid I'm the first and the last I'm the living one I was dead and now I'm alive forever and ever I hold the keys to death and haze and so this, um, I was dead, but now I'm alive, that's coming back to life after he actually, uh, died, um, gives us insight into what had happened, and, um, how he holds the key to death and haze, and, um, you know, that key is important because it can happen at any time, and so, John was commanded then, write this, what you see, therefore, uh, the things that are happening now, the things that will take place, these mysteries, write them down, uh, so we have them, and that they're noted, and so that's where we get this, uh, revealing and revelation, um, from, and we're so grateful that he did write that down, because we would have known what was going on in those moments, and so God promises to crush Satan under our feet, um, we know that uh, Tert- Tertius had wrote this letter. He uh, gave it to um, Gaius, who's the city host, um, and he also gave it to the whole church there that um, sends their greeting. Uh, Erastus, the city director and the director of public works, he got that letter as well. And so did our brother Cortus, who sends their greeting. And so we know that. This must have been, like, um, a letter that we weren't sure of who the original writer was or who the original sender was. It must have been misled in some way, deceiving us on who, um, wrote this letter. But it tells us here in, in Romans that it was actually Tertius who wrote it down. And so it was, um, important that we should note that it wasn't... Um, so in the head, the authority and power to do the things that the letter uh, was promising to do and the letter was calling for them to do. So as the city host and um, Erastus, the director of public works and um, everyone in between has uh, received this, may they be informed that it was Tertius, Tertius who wrote it. And so be careful then because you know, like our uh, private Lord the Bible too soon. It's important to know the whole story, even who uh, might have wrote the letter. So make sure that you know um, the whole story, not just a chapter of it.
and that says he promises to establish you in accordance with his gospel and in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages but now revealed and made known in the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so these are God's disclosures you know and that's um, the beauty of of it all that God does to share his secrets with those that walk close to him and he does um, disclose his uh, his wisdom to those that um, seek it and so um, we just see examples of that throughout history there and it does help us make better choices it should anyways hopefully we heed it praise to uh, mankind a praise to God for mankind you know like some eight of course when I consider your heavens God the works of your fingers the moon and the stars which you set in the place what is mankind that you are mindful mindful of him human beings that you care for them you made them little lower than the angels and you crowned them with glory and honor you made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet all flocks and herds all the animals of the wild the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea all that swim the paths of the sea lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth it's just one of my favorite songs and just a great praise and shout because like man you set your glory in the heavens and through the praise of children and infants you know you've established strongholds for your enemies and we just see um when we consider the vastness of the heavens and just the beauty of um your stars and the moon and the works of your fingers and everything you put in place God we're just like Man, what is mankind that that you're mindful of them? Mankind, like all variety, and human beings, like not even uh, an angelic figure, but a human being uh, that you even care for them. You made them lower than angels. We're not even like you know extraterrestrial. We're, we're like you know uh, lower than the angels. Of um, 
some of the boundless strength that um, Neva was given for defense. And Poot and Libya were among their allies. And yet she was taken captive, went into exile, and her infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Um, they cast lots for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains. And it said that you two will be drunk, and you'll go into hiding and seek refuge from your enemy. And all your fortresses are like the fig tree, with their first ripe fruit. What happens? Well, if you shake that fig tree, the fruit just falls straight into the mouth of the eater. It's like, well, you have this uh, beautiful looking fruit there on this on this treetop, and it looks uh, so tasty. We want to take a bite, but it's so flimsy, so um, precarious, so um, ripe and ready to fall that you just shake the tree and that little fig will fall right into the mouth of the eater. Just barely, you know, attached to the tree, barely hanging on, barely, um, um, barely ripened and it's just like, you know, slept on there. It looks beautiful, but it's so frail, so flimsy, so, um, you know, just taped tape to the tree almost, that as soon as you shake it, it'll fall straight to your mouth as you eat it. And so look at your troops, Nineveh. They're all weaklings. The gates of your land is wide open to your enemies, for fire has consumed the bars of your gates. And we know that, you know, cities were walled off or fortified, and and that was part of their protection, right? And it's like, well, your troops, they should be really, really strong and really um, strengthened, but they're weaklings, like little girls. And uh, the gates of your land would, should uh, keep it closed and protected and uh, block it off. Uh, they're actually wide open to your enemy. Why are they wide? Why are your gates wide open? Well, fire consumed them. They got burnt. All the bars of your gates are just burnt down, so you don't even have a gate to block off your enemy anymore. It's just free entry. We burnt your gates down. So with a pretty much um, open door, revolving door now because of uh, the gates being burnt down to the land. It was just a Water for the siege. Uh, hoard all your water up. Strengthen your defense. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Build, you know, brick brickwork through the clay. Make some bricks. Make a little uh, fortification for yourself. Um, work the clay. Tread the mortar. Repair the brickwork. There, the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down devour you like a swarm of locusts. Locusts we know is like um, bug, obviously insect, um, almost like a cockroach looking uh, um, thing, not very pretty. <laughs> it's um, definitely an ancient uh, bug. And um, multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like the locusts. Because you have increased the number of your merchants. And 
they are more numerous than stars and sky. So not only did you increase your merchants, I guess you were selling some goods, and you made a lot of um, buyers from uh, selling your goods and your trade, and the number of merchants that you made is greater than all the stars in the heavens. of these locusts, these grasshoppers, you know, are coming to, uh, to the whole land. So it's just a little uh, insight there on Nahum and the world to Nineveh. Um, and, you know, we're continually called to avoid foolish controversies genealogies, arguments, and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable and useless. More a divisive person um, once and then more in them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that they are warped, sinful, and self-condemned. So, obviously we have a lot of on how to avoid certain things in conversation, avoid arguments, avoid quarreling, avoid genealogy. Um, they're all unprofitable. And it just calls us to, um, after a second time of warning them, have nothing to do with them. God will avenge them, and they're pretty much warped and self-condemned. Certain people act like they're so self righteous and so pious and so holy, you know, and they're, you know, they have this uh, chip on their shoulder that they're better than everyone. But God calls them out and says, Hey, you know, you have eyes that are so pure that you can't look on evil, you can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? While the wicked swells up one more righteous than they are. You made people like the fish in the sea and like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls up uh, pulls them up with his hooks and he catches on his net. He gathers them in his dragnet and rejoices and is glad. So essentially just making fun of um and then worships it like it's his God. And what a treacherous thing to do. You're so holy in your own eyes, so self-righteous. Uh, how do you watch this treacherous man uh, just catch his prey all day long and um, tolerate this wrongdoing, tolerate the treacherous, and remain silent while the wicked swallows up one more righteous than themselves and then, you know, sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet.
the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and how He poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we're justified by His grace that we may become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That's trustworthy, and we want you to stress these things. Stress them. Even uh, down to your kids. Make sure they're stressed on these areas that those who've trusted God may be careful to devote themselves. They're doing what's good. These things are excellent and profitable. Stress them. And you know, God calls us to write that scroll. What you see in Sinatra Seven Churches, including um, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea in the church there. And when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, when I turned, I saw the seven uh, lampstands, and among them was one like a son of man. Well, he was dressed in a robe. Uh, this robe reached all the way down to his feet, so it was a full body robe, and he had a golden sash around his chest. I guess he had a holding his chest up and it was made of gold almost like armor on his chest to tether it down his hair on his head was white like wool uh, all his wisdom that he has made his you know, white hair kind of was a sign of uh, age instead of wisdom so he's definitely very wise and um he had eyes like blazing fire eyes that were just like so piercing they could see right through you his feet were bronze like the glowing in the furnace. And his uh, voice was like the rushing of water. His right hand held seven stars. It was coming out of, uh, coming out of his mouth with a sharp, dull-edged sword. The sword will cut you down and devour you like a swarm of locusts. Multiply like the grasshoppers. Multiply like the locusts.
five. And if that is, um, their inhabitants will be um, stressed out and uh, their fortifications uh, open there by the fire. wretched, pitiful, poor, and blind, and naked you are. And so, now they got all the wealth they could, all the riches they could, he said, spit them out of their mouth. Essentially, you're not healing anymore, and you're not refreshing. I spew you out, I'll puke you out of my mouth. And now I want you to buy from me counsel. You say you're rich, you're actually poor. I took everything from you. You're poor, blind, naked. I counsel you now to buy from me gold or refine the fire. Now I'm going to counsel you. With speed out of my mouth, uh, now that you have nothing left, and I'm going to counsel you, and you're going to pay me for my counsel. And it's going to be gold to refine the fire. And you're going to have to wear white clothes so you're made white. And then um, cover your shameful nakedness. Through this program, uh, cells to put on your eyes so that you can see. I guess they have the eyes uh, kind of um, invaded, so they put some cells on those too. So, those whom I love and I rebuke and discipline, says God, be earnest and repent, because the judge, uh, uh, because he stands at the door and knocks. you to buy counsel from him. <laughs> you trample the sea with your horses, your churning of the great waters. My heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound and decay crept into my bones. This is like a disease, like a, um, like a, a parasite, like a deathly um, organism, like a cancer. And it crept into his uh, bones now. And uh, it made his heart pound. But um, he says, even though the fig tree doesn't have figs, and even though there, there's no grapes on the vine, even though I lost all my olive crop, 
even though I lost everything, I will rejoice uh, in the Lord and I'll be joyful in God my Savior. And so we see that how he does and what a special um, rejoicing you can have in, in God when you lose everything, like literally everything. choose to rejoice, right? So, uh, the Queen Vashti didn't come out as the king commanded her to in his inner crown only, naked with a crown on, and uh, work out that not only against the king, but also against all the nobles, the people of the provinces, uh, did she, um, follow king's command and come out with the crown only on and her conduct will be made known to all the women and they'll despise uh, their own husbands because of this so they said write a letter um that what we should do and um let's have this um apology sent in, in relation to it just try and straighten things up that way and see um, if that works. And resin, resin like a tar or a pitch of resin, which was between Nineveh and Kala. These were great mountain cities, great hills, two of them. It was Nineveh and Kala. Well, in between them was um, a valley with resin. In Egypt was the father of the Ludites, the Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtuhites, Pathorites, Kathluhites, from which the Philistine came, and the Kephtorites. So we see just the groups of people that branched off from Nineveh and Kala, these two uh, great cities. And the pit of resin in between. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, drove his army in a hard campaign against Tyre. Every head was rubbed bare and every shoulder made raw. Yet he and his army got no reward for the campaign they led against Tyre. into this campaign against Tar, yet him and his army did all for free. They had nothing in compensation for it. And this was all for um, Tar. Why would King Nebuchadnezzar do all that? That's insane. He said, yet he and his army got no reward for the campaign he led against Tar. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I'm going to give Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, carry off his wealth, he'll loot and plunder the land as pay for his army. I've given him Egypt as a reward for his efforts. 
because he and his army did it for me, declares the sovereign Lord. So he did all this for God. And um, he's like, he didn't get any compensation for all his good work. So God said, I will compensate him. He'll be given Egypt and he can plunder it. And um, God said, he will reward him. He can care of his wealth. On that day, he'll make a horn grow for the Israelites. And I'll open your mouth among them. Then they'll know that I'm the Lord. That's pretty good, don't they? So, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort not to be found, be found blameless and at peace with one with Him. But bear in mind that our Lord, uh, with our Lord, patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you. With the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in the same matters. Um, some of them have hard things that ignorant people uh, twist and distort to their own destruction. But essentially, it's therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard uh, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure opposition. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Alright, guys, well, thanks for joining me on this episode of Hamlin Island, our justification, uh, ample cause of justification in Hamlin Island uh, memoir. And I just want to um, anchor some of the stuff down and journalize it out verbally here on, on this platform. So thank you so much for those of you that have joined me and thank you uh, for all your prayers and your care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.